Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumor. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stango running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. It's the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. Those were the sounds of Yao G's. You can catch them on iTunes. Uh, Delighted for today's show because I'm interviewing a guy who has become, well, famous uh, on the internet, on YouTube, on Twitter, all social media channels. Uh, It is Coach Nick, Coach Nick Hauselman, who is Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown, uh, I'm sure any basketball fan wise to check him out on Twitter uh, at B-Ball Breakdown. He's got over 40,000 Twitter followers. He has over 200,000 YouTube subscribers and uh, regularly gets over 50,000 uh, views on his videos. Coach Nick, uh, welcome to the Great Point Podcast. Thank you for having me. That's a, uh, that was a, a, a very nice introduction. Thank you. Oh, great. You, you talk about uh, the idea that, that B-Ball Breakdown is, is not a channel. It's a conversation. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I think when I first started uh, in 2010, the only way you could get analysis on the NBA was basically through ESPN or, or uh, maybe even Fox Sports. And all you had to do was sit down on your couch and watch and hear these people barking at you about what they say is going on in the game with no interaction whatsoever. ESPN would routinely turn off their comments and their articles. And so I, what I thought I tapped into was the notion that this is a conversation. And I reply to as many of my comments on YouTube and Twitter as I possibly can. And I think that resonated with people because finally there's a chance for someone to actually break down the game. And then also, if they don't agree then I can, you know, I'll discuss it with them. And maybe they're right, maybe I'm right. But I think that interaction, especially with sports, is huge and, and a main reason why we became as successful as we have. I love to talk to people, to about, talk to people about where their background comes from. And so for you, I know uh, you were a manager at Wisconsin when Stu Jackson was the head coach. The assistants on that staff, the assistant coaches were Stan Van Gundy and Sean Miller. This is uh, during 90 to 94. Can you tell me about that experience and what your memories are like for those guys? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Stu, I I have to think the biggest thing I took away from from watching, because, you know, as a manager, all you're really doing is standing on the side learning how to coach if your eyes and ears are open. And so with Coach Jackson, what I really took away was that, um, you know, any question anybody ever asked him, he had an answer right away without any kind of um, you know, hesitation or thinking about it. And I felt like that is huge because the second that a, a, a player senses that you might not know everything, uh, you start to erode your respect. Uh, and so I learned that from him. He was also funny. He had a really great way with uh, communicating to players and, uh, and also breaking it down very simply and clearly. So that was really big. Uh, I thought Sam Van Gundy was also the same way. He sort of knew that this is a game and that we don't need to take it as seriously as we have to. And so he was a pleasure to be around like in the, in the, uh, in the office 
where a lot of times it could very well be uh, very intense and people walking on eggshells. And he seemed to always have a good rhythm. Uh, Sean Miller and I used to play one-on-one often, uh, you know, after practice. And I was lucky I caught him, you know, several years after he had played and been an awesome player at Pitt. So I could kind of compete and he was, you know, wasn't quite in shape. So we had a great time uh, just sort of breaking down and talking about individual stuff with him. Um, and so, you know, it was just an amazing, amazing opportunity to be in a place where you can just soak up uh, all sorts of information. You know, and the cool thing about Coach Jackson was that he was a Rick Pitino disciple. So I kind of feel like I was able to see the Rick Pitino system at play right in front of me. When you were there and you were with uh, Van Gundy and and Coach Sean Miller, did you feel as though both of them would turn out to be outstanding head coaches one day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for that same reason, it's sort of their the rhythm and the way they the way they are in a room almost, which is almost independent, obviously, of what they know about the game. So um, absolutely, I felt like uh, Coach Van Gundy was going to be a really good one. And I think that's borne out. We've seen that. He had a little hiccup in Wisconsin, but when he moved on from there, he's done very well everywhere he's gone. And uh, Sean Miller, again, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, I don't know if I would have said, geez, he's going to run one of the premier programs and do it like kind of twice the first time when he did it uh, in Philly and then he came over to Arizona. So, um, you know, but he, he's a coach's son, knew the game really well and, um, and really just uh, knew how to get guys to play as hard as they could. And, and he know, knew it because he played at that level and not being a great athlete, he knew all the little, um, the, the, just how much, how hard you have to work to be able to compete at that level. So those are the kind of guys on, on, you would always say would be really good coaches. <laughs> when when you start out and you're creating these videos, who do you imagine when you're putting them together is actually watching? When you're and, and what I mean by that, I, I, I hate to step on my own question, but but what I mean by that question is that when you're creating it in the early stages, is, is there a group or something that you're picturing that is going to be uh, consuming these? You know, it, it's interesting because, you know, part of it is, okay, well, who is the audience, right? Sort of like who is watching these and who and then, and then the next level is, yeah, who am I picturing? You know, it, it's funny. It's a wide ranging uh, kind of um, stuff that we do, right? We'll do player breakdowns. We'll do team wide breakdowns. We'll focus in on the last five minutes of games. So mm-hmm. you kind of have a varied stuff. And I kind of honestly, the way I choose it is sort of like whatever interests me. Because mm-hmm. obviously, if I'm going to spend hours to do this, I want to be interested in doing it. And I, and I know that it'll be really good if, if I'm interested. So, you know, I suppose what I'm picturing is, is uh, either coaches who are already knee deep and I want to continue to examine the game from a real X's and O's standpoint. But I do know that, uh, you know, there's, as a testament to our size of our audience, there is a huge group of people that are just sort of fans that, you know, want to simply improve their IQ on, on the game or how it all works. So, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm kind of uh, – I'm really just doing it for me, and, and I feel like that is why it does well. And I guess, you know, me being a coach or a former coach, uh, you know, I suppose that's where it begins. But um, we try and make it accessible and make it, you know, easy to understand for anybody. Is that why you think it? the people are so drawn to what you created? I think so. I mean, there's no question, like, um, you know, things like ice defense – 
wouldn't be in the lexicon if I wouldn't I hadn't done so much on it, right? Uh, horns. We've done so much horns study, you know, because every team runs it that um, I, I, I do feel like, not to pat myself on the back too much, but I do feel like there are certain things out there that wouldn't be had I not been focusing on doing them. And so that, that is, that's cool. You know, it's, it's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's the idea is that we all just sort of want to improve the IQ of everybody because quite honestly, there's a lot of um, analysis that's out there in the mainstream traditional media that I feel is wrong. And I think that a lot of people sense that. And that's another reason why they respond. Well, you say that. What, what are you referring to when you say what specifically is wrong that's out there? <laughs> okay. Well, let's name names. Um, well, you know, um, I started B-Ball Breakdown because in 2009, the Celtics and Bulls had this epic seven-game series. I, I'm sure you remember this. Mm -hmm. And um, everyone was fawning over it and going crazy how amazing. And listen, it was epic and it was dramatic but it was also some of the worst basketball I had ever seen. And nobody was pointing this out. And so that was my initial, you know, um, reason why I started to do this is because I'm watching the Bulls guard Ray Allen, who I think he lit them up for like 30 a game or something crazy, uh, that whole series. And then the Celtics ended up winning that series. And of course, when they went and played the Magic the next uh, round, you know, Ray Allen went back to being very normal because they played defense correctly, and there's, you know, Coach Stan Van Gundy uh, running the defense. So, you know, that that was a lot of it. I mean, I certainly think that if you watch TNT um, in their halftime or postgame shows, it's it's um, it's entertainment, but they don't do a lot of really good um, sort of solid fundamental breakdown of what's going on. And when they try to do it, you know, it's not always, uh, it, it's just sort of off, and they're missing a lot of the key uh, details that are going on that I think would be better. And then on ESPN, there, there almost is none of that, um, uh, where they actually go and show plays, as far as I've seen. So, you know, th that's the issue I tend to have. I mean, obviously, the guys on, on camera are doing the play-by-play, -play, like Hubie, and those guys are awesome, and, and, and I, I owe a big debt of gratitude to them. But, um, you know, the, the normal stuff that you see on SportsCenter, um, and on TNT just, you know, isn't in-depth enough and isn't usually, you know, it misses a lot of stuff. You've learned from some outstanding names, obviously the coaches we discussed at Wisconsin, but also Tech's winner. Can you tell me about uh, where you developed a relationship with Tech's winner and also, you know, what you essentially uh, learned from, from him? Sure. I mean, I grew up in Chicago going to all the Bulls games. So when I moved out to L.A. and I started assisting a high school program out here with who, uh, the coach who became one of my great friends and mentor, you know, I recommended the triangle. He was running, um, you know, a Bobby Knight's motion offense, which looked good on paper, but there's a lot of wasted movement. So I said, you know, you should look at the triangle. And he goes, oh, I, don't, I don't like it. You know, he was an LA, L.A. guy. Well, sure enough, that was right when Phil Jackson took over with Tex Winter, the Lakers, and put the triangle in. And I can remember – him, you know, before our season started, he called me up and he said, you know, Nick, I can't believe it. There's, there's reverse action when there's movement. It's amazing. We got to do it. So we started to run it. And then um, at some point, maybe that next summer, you know, this is back when summer league was still in, in Long Beach uh, for the NBA. And uh, the Lakers had a team. We went down there. We wore our coaching shirts and a, we had a clipboard in our hand. And we just walked right, out, right down to the floor of the pyramid in Long Beach. And no one stopped us. And uh, as Tex Winter walked by, I kind of grabbed his arm and just started talking to him. 
and told them what I was doing. And next thing you know, we became, we developed a relationship where we would speak on the phone. Um, I, after he was living in Portland, the Portland area, I drove up there and uh, we spent a couple of days together going over um, the triangle. And, and then, you know, throughout the, the, those next several years, just sort of him being a mentor toward me as, as how to teach it. And uh, it was just an amazing experience. Uh, I can't say enough about being able to just be in the room with him and talk uh, and how gracious he was to allow me to do that. And so, uh, you know, whenever you get a chance to talk to someone who has invented something that you're running, I mean, that's, that's, it's invaluable. Uh, what, it, going to back to the site just for, for a second, and, and, and I don't just want to call it a site because it's obviously so much more than that with your social, social media channels and, and the YouTube stuff that you're doing. What was your first, oh, wow, moment when you realized this was really catching fire? I had a friend of mine that had represented YouTube stars. And in 2010, there was about 40 of those people in the world that were making a lot of money just talking to the camera, being silly, right? And you still, they're still around and you still watch them. You're wondering, like, how do these guys get a million views of their videos? But they do. So the, the, he had reverse engineered what they had learned from those guys. And, but one of the things they told me was, ah, it doesn't matter really what it looks like or what it sounds like. Just do it and put it up. And, you know, they're still up there. If you want to watch the first couple, it's embarrassing. <laughs> my, my hair was all over the place and my, the background was messy in my, my, my messy office. And so the first thing I did at some point, uh, uh, maybe a few weeks in, was I put a green screen behind me. And that was the first time I noticed a little bit of a bump. Uh, and I was like, okay. And then, then a week or two after that, I knocked the green screen out and put, uh, you know, a, a cool looking background. And I saw a huge jump that weekend. That was, that was a real big eye opener. And then at some point around that time, you know, HD was, remember in 2010, HD still wasn't prevalent across the board. So I was finally able to solve the HD issue and get all HD footage on my channel. And uh, that's when, it, again, it took off again from there. So what I think I learned was, was that in the sports world online, you know, the people want it, it needs to look uh, at a certain professional level without question. You can't just do it like the other YouTuber people were doing. With sports, they want it to look and sound really good and high end. And once I started to do that, uh, that's really when I saw a big takeoff. Uh, how about, you coached in high school, you coached in Van Nuys, California uh, for a high school program for a few years. How about college or pro teams? Have any college or pro teams talked to you about joining them? You know, I, I do know a number of GMs or, or assistant GMs and people around the league. And, and um, I've, had, I've had one discussion uh, with a couple different guys in the, in the past about it. But my problem is, is that, you know, I'm not 22 years old without a family, whatever. I'm really rooted in L.A. And so when I was coaching at the high school level and, and started to think, well, geez, is this going to turn into something where I can go to college? Well, I wasn't going to move, but I have a lot of friends that were very nomadic since college, and uh, and I never really wanted to live that kind of life, and that was sort of what you have to do if you want to get into college ranks. And so if I wanted to, let's say I wanted to be a D1 assistant coach, right? Mm -hmm. Well, as a high school coach, one head coach in high school every three years gets hired as a third assistant at a D1 level. That was what I'd heard in 2010 or 2011 at a, at a conference. And so that's if I was looking across the entire country. But now you imagine I'm only going to be looking in the L.A. area. There's only about five or six D1 schools at that level. So now you're talking about the astronomical odds of ever getting a job like that, independent of my success at D-Ball Breakdown. But 
Um, so I don't know. I mean, that, that's it, it's a tricky question. I, I think I would like it. Uh, I've been an assistant for other guys who don't who don't sort of have the same kind of philosophy as I do, and it's very hard. And so I don't know, you know, but then again, I've also been an assistant for a guy who I, who I really respect and who's been amazing. And that was as easy as pie. It was fun. So um, I don't know. I think I, I mean, obviously I really enjoy doing b-ball breakdown and being my own boss and being able to, because by the way, what this is, is a really big sabbatical from coaching. I get to interview coaches all across the country, all over the place and see and hear all different kinds of methods and styles. And, and, and whereas I wouldn't be able to I'd be too busy coaching uh, a team. And so uh, I'm really enjoying that right now. Uh, certainly, if you know, if an NBA team had called and we could sit, somehow figure it out where I could do some stuff for them from where I am, uh, I, absolutely, I would love to do that. Well, obviously, you've become enormously successful doing what you're doing, so I'm sure there there really isn't a need for you to to do that. But I'm curious, what kinds of things should people look for when they're watching games? that would make them smarter fans? <laughs> you know, I think I should do a, a series on this video-wise because I get that question a lot. You know, how do you watch the game? Or, you know, well, what should we be looking for? And it, it's kind of different. It's almost like, you know, jump shots. Everyone's got a different style, a different way of shooting a jump shot, right? And so, you know, the way I watch isn't necessarily the best way that someone else might watch it. But if they wanted to know, uh, if you want to know sort of how I approach it, you know, I, I have to think that, the first thing I do as a game is going on, and remember, I have the beauty of, uh, and one of the reasons why I don't like to get credentialed and go to the games is because I much prefer to be at my computer with Twitter next to me, and I could jump back 30 seconds and watch the play right away very quickly and then offer insight. But, um, but when I'm watching it live, certainly, you know, the thing I usually look for is offense to begin with, and I look at what they're running. What is the setup of their half-court, you know, set for that possession? Um, you know, usually that's where I start. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll sort of start to focus on the defense as well, uh, and I'll see how they're defending the pick and roll, right? There's a few ways you can do that. So I'm always curious as how teams do it and if there is any kind of uh, consistency there. Um, and certainly, you know, so that, those are the two, I think, main things. is pick and roll defense, I suppose, because you can kind of pick it out easily, and, and their offensive uh, starting points. Again, I'm also just curious because as a, as a coach, uh, I, I love, you know, looking at offense and seeing what people are running. Um, you know, if I'm watching a workout, which is, this came up recently, I was at a workout for a couple NBA guys, and uh, that's interesting because I, I really watch for footwork when I'm there, especially when I'm on the court because you can really see it. And I'm always looking at how smooth is it, how is their position on their feet. I was watching one of the guys, and he was really pigeon-toeing it, and, you know, that's part of the turn which I, which I espoused. But, you know, I'm looking at, like, the, the stress on the knee and then, you know, it's taking an extra step on that shot. There's a lot of interesting detail-oriented stuff that I really get into on the basketball court, which is really ironic because if you ask my wife, uh, she's telling you that I'm the least detail-oriented person in the world. But something about the game and basketball gets my focus where I can see it. I, I understand that. What, what skills do you find – that current NBA players uh, are lacking in? Oh, well, that's an interesting question. Well, I think that, um, you know, shooting is at a premium, right? The three-pointer has now become such a huge weapon that that's going to be something that we're going to see more of. And I would imagine that that's a big skill that, you know, even, even the, you know, how many great shooters do we really have? There's probably like 10, right? So... 
after that, you know, the guys like, you know, the, the guy, here's the thing, a guy like Tony Allen, who I should love because he leaves every ounce of energy out there on the court, frustrates me to no end because he's that bad on offense where he doesn't dribble well, he can't pass well, he doesn't finish well, he can't shoot well. And so, you know, I see those kind of guys and those guys drive me nuts. I would have to imagine that, there, you know, there's a footwork uh, there. You know, we saw Phil Jackson complain about LeBron James, of all people, with poor footwork. And you know what? He gets away with a lot of that stuff. And, uh, and you know, and as a result, he's empowered to do it more. Um, but I believe that certainly, you know, better footwork across the board will always help people. And there's, you know, there's always, you know, the, you can count them on your on one or two hands who really has that good footwork, right? And so, um, so I would say that is a real interesting uh, focus that people perhaps lack. You know, I would also say offhand. The, the offhand, if you're a righty and the left hand attacking, isn't always as great as you might think uh, at the NBA level. Uh, when you when you look at look, you've watched as much tape as anyone, uh, and I'm sure you've watched a lot. I know as uh, as a guy down in LA, you've watched a lot of old Lakers and, and Celtics stuff from the '80s. When you start to compare eras, you know we always get into these debates. How would you say that uh, that the game has evolved, and um, and also when was it uh, a better offensive game? Aha, uh-huh, that's a great question. I mean, there's a whole lot of things in that, in this subject. Uh, you know, I broke down, uh, we, we do a lot of retro breakdowns, so I broke down the uh, Bulls-Lakers uh, from 91, which, you know, was, that was my team. That was when I was a fan of the Bulls. And um, when you break it down, you watch that Laker team, for instance, with Magic and Terry Teagle, I think, was on that team, and uh, Sam Perkins, uh, and, and Worthy was still there, and Byron Scott. Um, all those guys posted up. I would say, uh, you know, 40% of their half-court possessions were post-ups. And, and not kickouts for threes, post-ups to shoot and score, or maybe cut for another closer shot. So that is really the biggest difference I see. Uh, even though the pace was supposedly faster sort of in the 70s, 80s going through, you know, the, the speed to me is a little bit slower. And, and, you know, the Celtics teams were so good, they didn't really need to run much offense an occasional pin down for Larry Bird, a little two-man game here or there. It wasn't that uh, complicated. The defensive rules had changed as well, and that's really caused a lot of the difference because with illegal defense, uh, it was a lot harder. You really – doubling was different, um, and they, but they did double more. The teams back in the day would double team more, even though you would – I'd almost assume that it would be easier now because of the, the, the defensive rules allow you to be a little, with a little more leeway on the weak side. So that was one uh, big difference as far as in the past. Um, and obviously, three-point shooting was a novelty for a long, long time. And that's the, that's the other thing is when you're trying to compare, you know, players, like Jerry West did not go to his left very well at all, right? Mm-hmm. One of the greatest players you've ever had ha- didn't really dribble with his left hand. But that's, that's – so if you were to morph him into today's game, he would get destroyed, obviously. But that's not how we can do that. We need to be able to compare players – as they were in their time, right? So right. nobody dribbled well with the left hand back in the late 60s. So that's okay. So Jerry West still maintains his position of how well he did at that time against that competition. And there's no way you can kind of go apple to apples and, and sort of with the time machine morph them into this game. All right. How about from a coaching standpoint, uh, in the current NBA, who is the smartest offensive coach in today's NBA? 
Well, that's an interesting question because now you got to talk about when you look at like um, the Warriors and what they did. Fantastic stuff. Is it Steve Kerr? Was it Alvin Gentry? Right. Um, you know, so I don't know. You know like, like if I would nominate anybody, obviously the Spurs are right up there because their motion strong, motion weak stuff is terrific and is perfectly suited for today's game with the three ball. And um, but then, you know, the Warriors are, are right up to the task. They're easily as good as that on offense. Um, you know, I like that stuff. But here's the interesting thing. And we talked just to kind of compare it in the past. A jump shooting teams, which is what the Warriors were labeled as, and nobody can win as a jump shooting team. You know, that's a nebulous term. It doesn't really describe what it is, what that means. Because it's not that they shoot more threes than anybody else, because they didn't. I think what jump shooting team means now, what the, what the future of the NBA looks like is, imagine a, a point guard penetrating to the paint. In the past, traditionally, if you were in the weak side corner, you would, your man would have to help. And that means that you would cut to the hoop for a nice close shot. Mm-hmm. No longer. Now you watch the weak side on many of the teams. Those two guys in the weak side with penetration will simply stand still behind the three-point line waiting for the kick out for the three. So that's a real big difference. And there's an interesting discussion because while the three is more efficient and all the numbers guys like it and argue it's better than twos for the most part, what you might be giving up are layups because of that. And that is a really big thing that we're going to have to step apart and, and look at more closely because I have a feeling we're going to start seeing the average number of threes go up to the point where it will be a problem. And what we're missing then is those teams that don't have cutters to get the easy shots like they used to. All right, so that's, that's from the coaching perspective. Now from the player side, who are some of your favorite players in today's NBA? <laughs> Well, you know, Steph Curry is definitely one of my favorite players. I tell my seven-year-old son that I want him to play like that. Um, and I think that that's the kind of guy, while, listen, he is incredible, and he's the greatest shooter we've seen, I have no doubt there's a 10-year-old right now watching what he's doing who will work on that and have the same, you know, hand-eye coordination that he does. And we're going to see several of those kind of players that can shoot the three off the bounce, that can throw great hook passes lefty across the court to the corner, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that. So, you know, I would have to say, you know, at first thought, he is, you know, my favorite player. I love guys like Delvadova who can overcome odds and really, you know, find a place um, in the league without having supernatural athletic ability or even supernatural skill for that matter. Um, I like those kind of guys. Although, again, it falls into that sort of Tony Allen category where if you don't, if you shoot like that or you shoot like, um, like uh, Tayshaun Prince, you know, those guys just frustrate me because what it means to me was that when they were young, they got really good early and coaches just started to shrug and say, ah, oh, we don't need to really work with him. He's already really good at this level. And so they never developed the good mechanics in their shot. And, uh, and so those guys really frustrate me. But I love, you know, you know, shooters like that. I always love to watch. Uh, I'm trying to think of any big guys. Like, you know, I think Mark Gasol might be another one of my favorites because he is so solid on across the board and his passing is so good. Uh, and that's what's exciting because he's not, he's not a, a, um, a selfish player. So I like those kind of guys who aren't selfish, who have the skills to be able to pass in any position. Um, you know, I, I suppose I'm leaving out LeBron James. And, um, you know, he's not, like, he's not one of my favorite players, unfortunately. Is, when, you, when you talk about that, and again, watching all the film, watching all the tape, uh, and going through, you know, hours and hours of intricate detail. Is there a player or a team that 
you see some really good things from that the public as a whole hasn't necessarily seen yet. So you could predict their future success. Well, I have to hang my hat on one of those, which I did a couple of years ago, which was I had done a breakdown as I was looking at uh, the advanced stats for Kyrie Irving. I kept seeing another name appear above him. And this was, I think, three seasons ago. And that name was Isaiah Thomas, the little guy who was playing for uh, the Kings at this time, at this point. And so I did a breakdown saying, is Isaiah Thomas better than Kyrie Irving? And I got blistered for that one for all summer long. And sure enough, that next season started, and, and Isaiah Thomas was awesome. And so there was one of those instances where I said, you know, geez, that, there's a guy who I saw uh, a little bit ahead of the curve. And, and it came from the stat side. And then I started looking at the footage and being like, geez, this guy has a lot of ability. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of now. Chandler Parsons, I, I think I was a little ahead of, too, before he kind of broke out and then got, went over to Dallas. Uh, another guy who I saw, was he, and what he does, which is unique, is when he, when he gets the ball on the catch, he's already in motion attacking the basket. And uh, not a lot of players do it that way, but I thought that that was a real advantage for him and his size. And so, uh, sure enough, he's developed, you know, he's had some injury issues, but he's definitely become one of those guys, I think, that uh, I had called around Christmas of 2013, maybe, I think, before he became really good with Houston. So, um, you know, I, I always, and, and again, what exactly is it? It's hard to sort of pinpoint what it is that I respond to, but usually it's some sort of like a toughness. Thing that don't, they don't, they're not ruffled easily. They don't complain about the referees. Those little things to me sort of catch my eye, and then I, you know, I usually kind of see if I can identify more from there. Well, I know I got to let you go uh, momentarily, but just wanted to ask you a, a couple other questions. First of all, uh, in saying all that, are you better at predicting winners than uh, most people? Uh, you know, probably not. You know, uh, every once in a while, I get a tweet from some guy who's saying. Oh, you're terrible at that, at, at, you know, sort of predicting that. I don't predict too much, but I, I don't know. I usually think I'm pretty good with it. You know, like one of the things that I, I thought I predicted relatively well was the, the New York Knicks, when they won those 50 games that one year, um, I was really down on them because the way they played defense uh, was really screwy. And one of the big things they did was, you know, and you hear us on my channel all the time, is they would help one pass away as part of their, um, their system which means that if I'm guarding a guy and a, a, someone penetrates right near me and I help off to stop the penetration, it's an easy kick out to my man for an open three. And if that's how you're going to run your defense consistently, you're going to get lit up. Now, the other thing was they were shooting threes at a ridiculously high rate across the board. They had six guys at 40% or higher to start that season. And I said, this is no way it's sustainable because some of these guys will never continue to shoot that way that well. And of course, it played out that way, and they kind of, you know, fizzled out in the playoffs because of it. And so, um, you know, that was a good example where I saw, you know, you can see that there are certain principal fundamentals. The Clippers, believe it or not, were sort of that same way to me where I had pointed out a, a certain fundamental flaws that they had, even like simple passing sometimes, where they were kind of getting, getting, getting away um, or getting by on their own good looks and not sort of doing all the little things they needed to do. And I thought that that was exactly what happened to them in their meltdown against the Rockets this year, was that all those little things that they couldn't quite do really hurt them those last three games and, uh, and, and was one of the big reasons why they didn't win, having had a big lead. So, you know, the fundamentals are you can't really hide from those. 
eventually it'll come come to bite you on the butt normally. Yeah, and we certainly saw in the the Clipper series that you know they against the the Rockets that they went through that stretch where they just could not score, and it was painful to watch. I can only imagine how how much you were banging your head over that. Well, for B-ball breakdown, what what is next for the entire conversation? I guess the YouTube channel and the the Twitter feed, all that. What can we expect moving forward for B-ball breakdown? You know, well, what, what we're, we just started an interesting series. Uh, which is we're breaking down NBA 2K15 in preparation for 2K16. And it's been amazing, the response. People have been going crazy over it because I'm offering the same kind of real-life insight into a game that is pretty close to real life. It's pretty crazy. So that's a really cool series we're doing. I think looking into the future, uh, if we continue to build out B-Ball Breakdown, then what we might end up having is a, a, a page or a channel for every team. So whatever fan you are, whatever team of a fan you are, you'll be able to tune into, you know, be bull breakdown and watch the Bulls uh, or, or something like that and, and see only the Bulls stuff uh, focused on. Obviously, that would require a, a bigger staff, but uh, we're working on that now, and I'm, I'm looking into it to see if that will uh, would be something viable. Um, other than that, we're going to continue to do what we do, which is, you know, breaking down stuff. We have a huge section on on-court demonstrations. And we're going to build that out too to, to a premium area where you can pay a monthly fee and get special stuff that we're showing, uh, really in-depth things that will be either for coaches or players to develop their stuff. Um, and that we're anticipating a big launch on that this summer. Well, i got to say, uh, all of your stuff is so impressive. I, I, I've been uh, a fan of B-Ball Breakdown for quite some time. Uh, Coach Nick is on Twitter, obviously, at B-Ball Breakdown. I know he used to do a lot of trolling early in his, in his career, but now he is one of the most fun guys on Twitter for sure. And, Coach, thank you so much for, uh, for joining the Great Point Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime you want, Adam, I will be here for you. All right, great, buddy. Thank you a ton. Uh, yeah, Coach Nick is, is one of the all-timers. Uh, please check out his stuff at B-Ball Breakdown and also the YouTube channel, uh, B-Ball Breakdown. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's um, so much involved there, like he said, whether it's player-specific breakdowns, team breakdowns, you name it. Uh, in fact, his video on NBA shooting secrets, which any shooter should check out, has gotten over 2.4 million views uh, and I'd like to see that tally go up even even further because uh, uh, Coach Nick is a friend of mine and a uh, heck of a guy. So really happy for the success that he's seeing. Uh, I think that'll do it for uh, this Great Point podcast. Again, our intro music comes from the great Yao G's. Check them out on iTunes. Uh, Kate and the girls, always a big thank you to them. And uh, the fit Twitter following we've been growing we really appreciate that. You can find us at Great Point Pod, and you can find me, Adam Stanko, individually at Naismith Lives. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll catch up to you soon.